I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people, categorizing of humans and ideas, you have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being, to who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas, these things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. Welcome back, everybody, to Ideas Digest, the live podcast practice where we look at the ideas that divide us to see if we can find the humanity that I believe connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're new to the show, welcome. You're a friend of the show if you're listening already. You're in the, you're in the club, but there is a catch, and the catch is if you listen to this podcast long enough, you will eventually hear an idea, an opinion, a perspective from somebody that you disagree with, maybe even be repulsed by, maybe, and that is by design. And when you come across this idea that is challenging or difficult, you can choose to stop listening. That's okay. That's fine. This practice may not be for everyone, but I personally recommend that you stick with it, not just so my listener stats go up, but because I think over time, you this uncomfortable feeling of listening to someone you disagree with, which is very difficult at first and it's very uncomfortable. But if you stick with it, I think you'll learn to love it and enjoy it. And if I don't, you get your money back, sucked in, you paid nothing for the podcast, but I'll give it back anyway. I can't give you time back, but hey, what is this? This is a, Now I'm on one of those telemarketing shows. But anyway, like I said, this show is recorded live. So anyone tuning in live, thanks for joining us. And you can be a part of the show. Joey Spears, welcome, mate. Send through your questions that you have. What directions do you want to go in? Because just being one person, there's just me. That kind of sucks because that's only one types of questions. And sometimes we get on a one-track mind and miss obvious questions. Um, so that's where you help and you can direct the show that way. And if you want to take the show from more of a passive listen to an active practice, you do three things. Easy, simple. Number one, listen to the episode that challenges you the most. This is easy to identify because it's the episode you, don't, you can't be bothered listening to. You'll look at it and be like, nah, not interested. That's probably the one you should click on. So click on it. Uh, number two, ask a question. Comment on the Insta post that I'll put up. What questions did I miss? What do you want to know more about? Clarify, understand a little more. That's how you engage with it. Number three, send me a DM. I love hearing from you. Point me down different rabbit holes. Find someone interesting on Instagram, send them to me. Let's explore whatever ideas you all want to explore. So with all of, all of that out of the way, today's episode, I'm going to welcome new friends of the show, Dan and Joe. Dan, welcome to Ideas Digest. Thanks for joining me. <laughs> Thank you. It's good hey, to everyone. be here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's great to have you here. Now, Dan and Joe... Let's before we before we get started, we need a little we need a bit of surface level information. Can you give us like a cocktail party mixer? Like, oh hi, my name's Conrad. Oh Dan, Joe, nice to meet you. Tell me about yourselves. What like who are you and, and kind of what do you do? Like surface level stuff. <laughs> oh, okay. Very surface level. Um I'm Joe, his Dan. We're a gay couple living in Sydney. Um what else? Work. <laughs> What do we you do for plants work? in the back. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you grow plants, good. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I work in healthcare. Joe um, works in I work logistics. in logistics. I was born in Fiji, then uh-huh. was transplanted over to New Zealand, uh, and then hence, moved hence here. Hence the slight accent. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then moved here three years ago? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Three years ago. 
Um, Dan's from Perth. Yep, I'm from West Australia originally, born and bred there, but oh. um, have been in on the East Coast for about 10 years now, I think. So, so question, quick question for you. Who dislikes Australia more? Dan, you're from Western Australia. You guys are like, oh, man, it's, we're, we're better than Australia. We want to be Western Australia. And New Zealand's are like, oh, bro, like... Australia sucks, eh? Yeah. Uh, who doesn't like Australia more out of the two of you? Definitely Joe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I, okay. No, it's not that I don't like Australia. I just recognize where Australia might be able to do better. And uh, yeah, I think m- maybe many of our New Zealand listeners might agree with you. You know, yeah. their last election, oh, their yeah, country, New Zealand went in a certain direction yeah. that some of my listeners might enjoy and others would be very repulsed by. <laughs> uh, but that's the fun. So represent for New Zealand there. Okay, so I've, I've gleaned just some surface level information from you. And to before, uh, before we get going, the clickbait of this episode, which is why you clicked. And I try, I, I just, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to come up with stuff. I, um, here's, here's what I came up with today. Now, gay married and still conservative Christian. Now, that clickbait, you, you, Dan and Joe, you might be thinking, well, that, that kind of misses the mark, or that's a bit reductionistic, or, or maybe it's spot on. I don't know. But I, I do generally try and mislead because if you're not misled by clickbait, you're not doing it properly. Mm-hmm. So it is a bit deliberately misleading, but with the clickbait, with a bit of surface level information, I'm going to make some judgments about you guys, okay? Um, and you get a right of reply. So normally people go and judge and talk about people behind their back. I'm going to do it to your face. So that's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> and you get, to, you get to say yes or no. Okay. Right. You get a bit of right of reply. Now, I will admit, I'm getting pretty bad at this. <laughs> like, I come down to go, oh, what are some assumptions? So anyone <laughs> watching, if you want to shoot through some assumptions you might have having just met Dan and Joe, I've already got some assumptions about the Kiwiness and the Western Australianness of them. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm going to do my best. You know, I'm trying to think of what people would judge about you. So here we go. Assumption and judgment. Number one, I'm going to confess it to you. You, both of you are gay. You must have good fashion sense. Yes. <laughs> I think so. Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Some Mine is a solid so, yes. <laughs> a hard yes and and yours is a bit more subjective eh you're like <laughs> yeah. um i think i do but i feel like maybe depends who you ask <laughs> okay okay mm. good, good, good. all right and and i was talking to a friend just just minutes before the show started and i said oh, like what assumptions would you have with this clickbait they go hmm okay gay christians they must be really inclusive yes or no yes yes yeah yeah, you'd like to think you're you're inclusive. Yeah. I think everyone likes to think they're inclusive. That's <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah. Okay. Now let me let me try and channel the different side of um oh assumption. You feel deeply. Oh, good assumption, Raya, from the live chat there. You you guys are f- emotional, maybe like feelers. Yes. Oh, <laughs> not so sure. Again, solid. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> thanks. I'll thanks for jumping. No. No. Okay. A yes and no. Good. Um. Thanks for jumping in with that assumption. Now, you've probably come across this one a lot. Maybe you can let me know. You guys chose to be gay. No. 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 Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Now, the tension between gay and Christian, that's why it's in the clickbait because generally there's a tension there. Some Christians might say, you, 
that's not possible. You mustn't really truly be Christian. Yes. Uh, no, is that I disagree a yes? <laughs> with that assumption. Okay. I, so you would say, I think we are Christian. That's what you're yes. saying. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I would. And, yeah, I uh, agree that Christians would say that. I disagree with the yeah. So have would have you gotten that one before? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. I'm on the money. Yes. I'm trying to like, (laughs) what would people assume? I'm really trying to get there. Uh, JC Jewett in the live chat there. You both love arts and theater. That's probably very stereotypical gay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, My wife is actually getting me into it and I like it too. So Hamilton. Yes. Hamilton. Hamilton. So good. We'll we'll have another podcast about that. My wife is, if she's... She'll she'll text you later about Hamilton. <laughs> I watched. I saw Hamilton in London. Fun side fact, oh, and it was fan. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. So Next assumption: yes or no. So okay, you're saying yes, we are Christian. So then the Christian might say, "Well, you're just picking and choosing what you want to be true in the Bible." Yes or no? Are you doing that? No. 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 Okay, that's a no. Now coming through on the when I put up the post saying we're going we're doing some interviews uh, someone put through some assumptions there and they said you if you're christian and gay generally those two often don't go together they said you must be like masochistic like a sucker for punishment being christian in this community whilst you know living in that tension no 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 what assumptions have you both come across that you think like had that people would have thrown at you that I missed? Um, I think one of the biggest one is that I think people automatically assume because we're a gay couple, I've got Dan here and then five other guys in the background <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> oh. Okay. So, so the assumption there, they, they'd be like, oh, you're like polygamous or, yeah, or promiscuous exactly. or something. Yeah. Okay. And you would say? No. No. Okay. No. Well, you're married and generally yeah, it's yeah. A, uh, a, a monogamous thing. So, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. A, a, any others you can think of? I think that this is very much related to, to one that you mentioned, but I think there's an assumption that we have just sort of thrown out the Bible, I guess. Um, uh-huh. Kept the faith in God, but ignore the Bible. Um, and I would say that's wrong. Well, that's really good. This is this is why we do this segment, because all the assumptions that I put to you, most of them are hard no's. The judgments and assumptions, let that be the beginning of the conversation. There's plenty more nuance to actually dig into and understand. So if you're listening and going, oh, I would have thought that. Oh, they're saying it's not true. Then the next question is, oh, tell me more. So Dan and Joe, tell me, maybe start with who you are, what you guys have been doing, like your upbringing and what brings you to, because I know you're doing a podcast now called Enough Room. Talk to me about, I suppose, who you are, your upbringing, and what's led you to where you are now. It's like a broad thing, but we'll see where mm. it goes. Mm. How much time uh, do we have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the highlights. Yeah. Um, I think for, uh, for me, I definitely was born and raised in the Adventist church. Um, so obviously that... Uh, was I guess that was kind of all I ever knew. Um, went to the Adventist church, went to Adventist schools, um, actually grew up on the campus of an Adventist school, 
Um, so I was very much immersed in Adventism. Um, I think uh, growing up, I didn't realize how much of a way of life it was as much as it is a, um, I guess, a belief system. Um, I think the more that I have grown up, the more I've seen how, um, I guess, how cultural Adventism can be um, and how what I just thought was normal is actually just that's part of the Adventist culture, but, you know, other people haven't necessarily experienced that. Um, so definitely grew up surrounded by the Adventist culture um, and um, I guess for the early part of my life, or I guess it depends what your class is early, maybe up to my 20s, early 20s, um, I think Adventism was just what I did. Um, and it was it was so much part of my life that it, I kind of didn't really question it. Um, wasn't until sort of my mid-20s that I really started to, I guess, experience a faith for myself. Um, and that's where Adventism... Um, I guess stop being so much a culture um, or maybe I should say I stopped being so much just a product of Adventism, but I started finding my own beliefs, which aligned with Adventism, um, but were actually grounded in my own experiences and, and study. And I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of like, what did you study in your, like your family were Adventist? Um, yes, my uh, my yeah. grandfather on my dad's side was actually an Adventist pastor, um, yeah. uh, Adventist minister, and um, on my mother's side, um, there were three or four generations of, of Adventism um, in there as well. Um, my grandparents on that side were missionaries in the islands and, and all that sort of thing. So strong Adventist heritage in the family as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and what did you study at uni? I to... studied... <laughs> Uh, a little bit of everything, but I um I did some religious studies. I actually started a theology degree. Um, I've graduated with a um a bachelor of arts specialising in music, uh, but with a minor in biblical languages, media production. Uh, did some public relations in there. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, nice. Go, you you sampled it all and yeah, came yeah. out with something. That's good. That's good. <laughs> and, and what about what about you, Joe? Like, what's your I guess background and upbringing? Yeah, like? yeah. So I grew up. I was born in Fiji, and I grew up in what I would say your your Fijian family. So my mom's indigenous Fijian. My dad is Fijian Indian. Um, now, growing up, I've always had a lot of influence from my mom's side of the family, and they're the Adventist side of the family so they, they go back I think about three generations of Adventists um, and but my on my dad's side they're Hindus and growing up my dad I would say was more agnostic than anything um, he was like yeah there, there must be a, a, a being out there uh, but at the same time heavily into evolution and all of those things so I had an, a very interesting childhood i remember sitting in front of the tv and we've had we'll we'll have a documentary on and my mom and dad in the background arguing about evolution versus creation um so that was sort of my upbringing um late on in life i guess i embraced adventism and moved into that um yeah we moved over to new zealand again very heavily involved in the church um got into logistics. So I work for a logistics company. 
um, and I'm currently in sort of the customs division of that company here in Sydney. Um, but yeah, I, I would say definitely an Adventist, but a bit of a different kind of Adventist, I guess, because I didn't go to any of the schools. I didn't go to any of the the colleges that your um, Adventists would go into. The, the but... one college. <laughs> the one college. College university. It's a college university, college university now. Yeah. <laughs> My um, degree got this much more valuable. <laughs> but I definitely agree in that Adventism for me, apart from like the theology of it, is definitely a, a culture, is definitely, um, I, I guess, a lifestyle. Um, like you, as soon as you hit Friday evenings, you know what's coming sabbath you know what's coming uh you know potluck and all of that stuff so yeah i i, I definitely agree with that while i didn't have the same experience as dan definitely the lifestyle was there hmm. and so would you would you say then like for our listeners who are unfamiliar with adventism would you say adventism fits within like the conservative christian definition or how would you describe adventism to people listening like it's protestant what would you say how would you describe that i would yeah i would definitely say a conservative protestant religion would yeah yeah it's for me it's always been interesting because yeah I, i think adventism fits some of your more conservative um boxes if we were to tick any um like you know sola scriptura and all of those things um, but at, at the same time, I feel like there's a few things within Adventism that's a bit outside the box. I don't know mm. whether we would class it as conservative or more progressive. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I think Adventism, if we had to put it in one, would fit into the conservative side, even though you've got Adventists who like to believe that they're a bit more progressive. Yeah. It's sort of still. <laughs> yeah, you, you've definitely got, I mean, within every denomination, like you got really got Christianity, then you got Protestantism, then you got your flavor of Protestantism. And then within yeah. that, you've got the spectrum of like progressive and conservative within that. Where would you place yourselves? Would you say that you're conservative Christians, if you were just talking to random people on the street that didn't really know what Adventism was? I think uh, compared to... Compared to Christianity, I would put myself as conservative. Compared to Adventism, I'd put myself in as progressive. Okay. All right. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, to to just kind of delineate where you see yourselves. And so I, I guess I guess the clickbait might be half accurate to be conservative Christian from certain perspectives. It would be mm. conservative Christian. So then tell me about the podcast you're doing right now and what led you to that. Mm. I think, um, I know for me, I've for quite a while been quite, um, I guess quite passionate about sharing experiences. Um, I used to be part of something that um, I guess enabled me to actually share my own uh, experience, um, uh, mostly in America and the Philippines. Um, And I think I just really enjoyed sharing my experience and through that connecting with other people, um, having them then share their experiences with me and just finding that, that point of connection. So I think, um, after I sort of moved out of that space, um, I really wanted to find another space where I could do that. Um, and so certainly from a personal perspective, that's one reason I've 
uh, for a while been sort of thinking about this um, sort of podcast. But um, but then when I actually got into a relationship with Joe, um, I think we both sort of connected on that same um, sort of page and wave of thinking and that then actually made, I guess, that a possibility. Um, mm. and, and I think as well, like you mentioned something earlier that there's this assumption that if you're gay, you can't be Christian, or if you're Christian, you can't necessarily be gay. It's one or the other. And I think a lot of us, uh, myself included, um, believe that at some point. We grow up with that. We believe it. We nurture it. We feed it. And it's grown into this thing that's just part of the world that we live in. But what I think it's also created is this vacuum um, where you don't have um, gay Christian voices or LGBTQ plus Christian voices. And as, um, you know, as a teenager growing up gay um, and you're looking out there in the world for something that looks similar to you or something that sounds similar to the experiences you're going through, I feel like that's really damaging because what do you then fill in that void? What do you then fill in that vacuum? Um, and so that's what I also hope Enough Room is. Um, it is um, something that, you know, a young Joe or a young Dan um, going through whatever they're going through in their life can look at and go, okay, that makes sense to me, or that's something I can relate with, or it definitely does get better. Mm. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of what we hope Enough Room is. Mm. Yeah, because your podcast called Enough Room kind of insinuates that there's some part of your experience where you didn't feel there was enough room. And by you sharing your experience, you're hoping to create enough room and sharing Mm. your experience growing up gay within a conservative context. But that's why I find both your journeys and stories very interesting, especially for Ideas Digest, is that I tried to box you and categorize you before (laughs) only to kind of illustrate the point is that like, it doesn't work. You don't get very far, right? And let's say the Christian stereo- the conservative Christian stereotype would be like a straight white male who's married with his Proverbs wife or, or whatever. Um, or there's, and then there's the gay individual growing up within a Christian context goes, I'm, I'm feeling rejected. I'm not feeling accepted. This, this thing doesn't work for me. And what you're telling me I should be doesn't work for me. So I'm going to leave it all behind. But you both seem to be like talking about something where it's like, okay, I don't have to leave this part of me behind, but I can also exist here as well. Talk, I guess talk to me about your journey with finding a space, finding enough room for you within what is stereotypically a very narrow tribe. Mm. Mm. I, I think for me the journey begins with coming to that point where I felt myself being torn in two. And when we approach things like sexuality, like being gay, for example, I think a lot of times, again, myself included back in the day, approached it from the point of view that it's something you, like you said, you choose, something that you put on. You wake up one morning and then you're like, oh, I'm going to be gay today. Um, Get my gay pants on. Oh, yeah, yeah, straight ones have just been ironed. Yeah. No, no, I'll go with the other ones. Yeah, those skinny jeans look good. Um, <laughs> but 
And I think that's where for me it began uh, with this idea, even though I said it wasn't a choice, I think in the background, unconsciously, just through, you know, years of indoctrination into this thinking, you kind of just accept that it's it might be a choice and then it's now inside you where it's tearing you in two, where you've got the gay, being gay on one side or being Christian on the other side. Um, and uh, I think something that I just want to clear up for anyone who's listening and myself included is that being gay is sort of like being a person of color, being someone from the islands. It's who you are. And so by forcing yourself to try to split yourself in two, I think this is where that, that damage comes in, uh, where it's psychologically damaging, it's socially damaging. Um, and that's why I found myself in this space where I felt like I was not only harming myself, but I was physically harming myself as well. Um, but, and, and this is where the Christian side of it comes in. I, I remember one day sitting in my car and listening to um, some Christian songs. And this, I guess, if you're Christian, you'll know this quote where I think it's a quote from the Bible and someone please correct me, but it's where God says, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. And I kept thinking of that and I kept thinking of that through these songs. And I, I somehow came to, I guess, I somehow realized that I didn't have to split myself in two. I didn't have to pull myself in two, but who I am is enough. And who I am as a person is gay and Christian. Now, that was after, you know, I would say many nights of tears, many bad decisions and all of those things. So definitely it was a process. But once I got myself to that space in realizing that, no, I can actually be myself. I can actually be Christian. I'm not gay in terms of I've put on a gay suit or I put on a gay shirt. I'm just gay like I am a person of color. And I can be Christian. I can take part in... Um, this thing called Adventism. I can take part in this thing called being a Christian, which is a choice. Um, I think once I reached that stage, I yeah, I, I think I just realized, no, this is enough for me. And now what can I do to make sure that other people hear that as well, that who they are is enough? Mm. Oh, thank you. I think that's the reference. Second Corinthians 12, verse Good 9. Good Bible thank knowledge, you. guys. Well done. <laughs> Uh, Dan, how does how does your mm. is your journey similar to that? It, it it is very similar in many ways. I think, um, yeah, for me, I started out in this space. I guess growing up in the church, it it almost wasn't even a conflict for me because it just wasn't an option. Um, I was Adventist. I wanted to be Adventist, and I was going to remain Adventist. So it, the idea of me being gay just wasn't even something that crossed my mind. Um, I knew that, you know, I was attracted to other guys and all that sort of stuff, but it, that wasn't a question of me being gay. That was just, I don't know, my mind playing tricks on me and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I think the, when I finally got to the point of um, maybe I, I was in a relationship in college and I, and I just, in that relationship with a, uh, another woman, 
I got to this point of realizing this is not what a relationship should be. And that's the first time I could really acknowledge that I was gay. And that's when I started to have to process, okay, what now? How do I, um, I guess, deal with this tension? And initially my response was, well, suppress my sexuality. Um, And I kind of started to realize that was uh, basically impossible. But I then had this experience where I guess for me, I felt that God spoke to me directly. And through that experience, I I guess um, uh, was impressed to believe that God had actually changed my sexuality. And so now I was no longer gay and I was now straight and I started to try and live that out. And I started to share that with other people because I wanted to, I I guess, provide hope for other people that might be struggling with their sexuality. I want to provide hope that there is um, the possibility of change. So at first that's kind of how I dealt with it and how I found room for myself is I, I guess I suppressed it. I ignored it and I, suggested I'd changed. Eventually I realized that that actually was, um, I guess a lie that I'd convinced myself of and I hadn't changed. Um, by the time I got to that point, I was sort of in a similar place to what Joe was describing, where it was just, um, this state of depression, this so much tension, self-loathing, um, because I, I knew that I was, what I believed about God and what he expected of me didn't line up with the reality of who I was. And that really, it really pushed me to study um, in depth what I believed about um, the Bible and what the Bible said regarding sexuality. Cause ultimately that was the only reason that there was tension is because I believed in God and I believed that his word was a reflection of him and I believed his word was against same-sex attraction um, or being gay. And so because of this tension, I just thought, well, Christianity is meant to be beneficial. I believe it's meant to be a good thing. And right now it's basically destroying my life and it's destroying my yeah. mental well-being. So mm. it forced me to study that for myself. And when I did that, that's when I... I guess, finally reached this point of realizing my understanding of what God expected of me was wrong. And I was finally able to accept myself, embrace myself and my sexuality. And at the same time, know that I didn't have to give up on God. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, my journey to finding enough room for myself. Um, the, I guess the journey to actually finding enough room for myself from other people's perspective is a much more difficult one um, and one that's been a lot more rocky. Um, but yeah, to find enough room for myself and my own, you know, mental well-being and all that sort of thing, that was, it was a lot of soul searching and stop, uh, I guess, moving away from just trusting what the church told me and starting to look at my own beliefs and embracing my own beliefs with my own study. Um, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, it's an interesting, almost normal human journey that you're outlining. That is, how can I be okay with myself? And then how can I be okay in relationship to everybody else? 
I I wonder if you can outline maybe some of like the ideas and theologies that you might have had handed to you that ultimately as I'm hearing you go this isn't working I shouldn't feel this way I shouldn't be struggling like this if what you're saying is true uh, what, what what were some of those ideas you had to unpack? Because like the assumption at the beginning, which you said you've come across, which is saying, oh, well, just don't choose to be gay or or you can just be alone forever. Or what what do you think some of the ideas that you might have held as Christian that ultimately led you to either deal with it by um, forcing yourself to be somebody else or to just suppress yourself? What were some of those theological ideas that... I would say the very first one would be, you know, in um, Genesis where um, God tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Like for the longest time, that for me was a command by God, get married and have bucket loads of children Mm. or at least one or two. Um, (laughs) I'm failing that right now. So I don't feel too bad about that. I got no kids. (laughs) Um, So yeah, automatically and i don't know whether it's just me or there's other people that felt like okay that's one of the requirements Mm. you know of this christian experience is to get married and have kids Mm. because it's a command by god um i think another um probably for me would be just the i guess there was just this assumption or not as yeah um that the the default sexuality was heterosexuality and the reason that was the default is because it was what god intended and it's what god clearly outlined in eden um because he created adam and then created eve for adam it was very that was god's way of just defining what relationship was um i think that was a very strong theological assumption yeah. that I it was just, yeah, that I had to question and, and actually look at. And um, Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. that's probably another one, another biggie in the Bible where you look at it and you go, okay, yeah, definitely if you're gay. God will destroy your entire yeah. city. Fine brimstone. Yeah. And I mean, there's um, the even, I guess, in a um, – secular sense or political sense there's um what they refer to as sodomy laws um you know sodomy is a a definition of of homosexual uh or another word for homosexuality in a sense and and yeah so i guess that that idea that sodom was referring to homosexuality is was in not just ingrained in theology but also in in society Mm. um yeah and so just like uh, just to name a few of those of what you're talking about instantly from the beginning and from where you're growing up, you're already sensing I'm either not meant to be, I can't really be here. There just isn't, there isn't space Mm. for you. And where does that leave you then when you're in this space of being like, well, I'm not what God is meant. I'm not what I need to either become what God means me to be in this sense, or I, or I, I guess I'm just not what God means. Where does that leave you? I guess, emotionally along that journey? Where does that lead? I think for me, it it led to a place of hopelessness because if I felt like there wasn't a place for me 
or I couldn't live up to this, or I couldn't, I couldn't fit into that, then what was the point in anything that I did? And, you know, the other question is then, okay, since I can't fit into this space, what do I then fill in that space? Um, and we often talk about, you know, high drug usage, alcohol, and those sorts of things, especially in terms of um, the gay community, and we look at it as a symptom or one of the evils of being gay when I think it's actually because gay people are taught that you can't fit into this space. Mm. Personally, for me, I then had to fill it with something else. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely put me in a place of hopelessness because it's just like, okay, I can't live up to this. I can't fit into this or that what's the point in all of this i think for me it was a um for me it was a very strong sense of shame hmm. and um a totally uh i guess a total lack of self confidence because i yeah i was i was ashamed of who i was because i wasn't able to live up to and i wasn't able to be what i thought was expected of me and what the church expected and, the, and therefore what God expected. Um, and then I think that then, I guess, um, came out as a lack of self-confidence because I couldn't be confident in anything that I was saying or doing, couldn't be confident in who I was because I knew that who I was was not good enough um, and who I was was not legitimate. Um, and and so I guess walk me through the seemingly narrow path you then take that many people just go well if I don't belong here why would I stay what like why like there's probably even more progressive Christian churches that are affirming that are like theologically okay with same-sex relationships and then obviously some people just go, why even bother with it at all? If, if you've been treated like this, dealing with that level of trauma, guys, why be, like, why be Christian? Like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. I, and, and we've had to ask ourselves, ourselves these questions, <laughs> um, especially recently. Um, so very recently we went from just being, you know, two gays who are dating, to two gays who are now engaged, to two gays who are now married. And it's interesting what the reaction from the church has been, um, mm-hmm. where at the very beginning it was like, you know, welcome, come and be part of this experience. We would love to have you, um, you know, up the front and taking part in all of this. But as we moved through getting engaged to and moving towards marriage, that all just suddenly changed where there was now, I would say little to no contact. There was now, you know, getting a phone call the week off you uh, leading out in song service and being told actually, no, could you not do that? Um, So I, I definitely understand when a lot of gay people go, why should I even be part of this when I'm not wanted? Uh, yeah it, yeah it's it's definitely a um it definitely forces you to question why you're involved in something and i think as as joe said we've, we've definitely had to do that and i think ultimately um 
So earlier this year, I was put in the position where I ended up, I had a decision to make it and ended up deciding to um, remove myself from membership in the Adventist church. Um, now, for those who aren't Adventist, that might just sound like a bit of a weird concept. Like, is this some your, club you take you take your membership card, you yeah. hand it back. There you go. Give back my card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, your discount codes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think for, you know, for, the, for those who are Adventist or at least familiar with the Adventist church, that um, I guess being an, a member of the church is, is quite a significant thing in many ways. And I think um, that is you're not just someone who's attending the church, but you're actually part of the church and you can be a part of the decision-making. You can be involved up the front. You can, all that sort of thing. And so that, but I think making that decision to withdraw my membership helped me to realize, um, I guess, what it really meant to be Adventist. And for me, it wasn't actually about being a member. It was about, embracing the the culture of adventism and and believing um i guess certain beliefs that are unique to the adventist church and when i thought about that i guess for me it it made me realize that no matter what the church says whether or not they kick me out whether or not i'm not on their role and not you know a good and standing member in their opinion doesn't actually change what i believe to be true personally and so from that perspective, I, I feel like right now I can't stop being Adventist because it's what I believe to be true. And I mean, I guess for a few reasons, one big one being COVID, we've stopped attending church this year. Um, but there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, do we even go back to, to attending because there is still this, I guess, this sense of judgment and, and that sort of thing. But I think in that discussion as well, we've talked about the fact that we actually, I guess we feel like that's our extended family in a sense, and we want to remain a part of that. Mm. Um, it is a part of who we've grown up to be and, and how we identify. It, it's a culture we're yeah. used to. And we do know that there are churches within Adventism who are at least more welcoming, if not quite welcoming of people in a gay relationship. And so we, um, there's definitely been a lot of discussion around, is it really worth it? But I think for us, it's, it's just so much of who we are and what we believe that we, it's really hard to just sort of give that up. And, and just on that as well, I think part of that process is realizing that, so this whole thing is an experience. Mm. And a lot of people, when they say, why stay with the church, then you have to break down what is that experience? What is the experience of church? Is it just going into this building and, you know, singing a few songs and being in a community? Or is it being connected with this divine being that you believe in? And part of that connection is outwardly taking part in these things, taking part in um, a church or an organization that you feel has something to offer in terms of, you know, the bigger picture of life. Um, and I think part of uh, my journey with it was um, delineating and putting that line between the church experience of going into a community and singing a few songs and, you know, going to different sorts of community clubs on um, during the week, or was it, 
um, this relationship that I had with this divine being that was so personal and so important to me mm. and something that I wanted to keep a hold of. And I think where I'm at the moment is that I'm fine with letting go of um, the building and the people mm. in it, uh, but not necessarily this person who I call Jesus. Mm. But what that then means is that because of my relationship with Jesus and I guess the hope and the beauty that I see in that, I also, and maybe it's just me being optimistic, um, but then I also turn around and I look at the experiences within my church. I look at the experiences within um, the very small community of uh, gay people who happen to be Christian. And I go, actually, we can do better here. And if we can be that agent of change and if we can affect it in a better way, then great. Um, This might sound like a crazy example to make, but... I grew up and I definitely accept that there's a, there's been a lot of abuse in the church in terms of the LGBTQ plus community, where as soon as you come out, you're out the door. Definitely, definitely accept that. But I, I also like to believe that that shouldn't stop us from trying to make it a better place mm. um, for the LGBTQ plus community, if that is something they want to be a part of. I grew up with uh, an aunt of mine who was in a... Um, a very difficult relationship. Basically, uh, there were cases of, you know, um, domestic abuse there with the husband. And growing up, that was so hurtful to see. And thank God she managed to get out of that um, that relationship. But that didn't turn me off being in a relationship with someone else. That didn't turn me off being in a family with someone else, like I am with Daniel now. Um, and I don't know whether that's a good example to use, but that's something I definitely accept in the church. There's definitely abuses there, but I don't think that should stop us mm. from looking at the church or looking at a community and going, we can do better here and we must do better. Mm. It sounds as if what I'm hearing there is like a shift in what it means to be Christian or a particular brand of Christian mm. being Adventism that says, and and it maybe I'm... As I think about this, it seems to me as if it's a uniquely Protestant idea that says, are you currently attending a church? And if you are, then you are currently that denomination. Because I think a lot of Protestants look at Catholics and go, oh, you're not Catholic. You only go to Mass once a year, as (laughs) if you're Catholic. And I feel like that's a very Protestant way of looking at it. But what I hear you talking about is saying... I grew up Adventist. This is my community. This is my family. This is my worldview. And this is my culture. And even if this building and current group of members of this official organization might say, well, you're not fully theologically aligned with with us, we don't think you're one of us. It sounds like you're both challenging that saying, well, you can say that, but I still see myself like that. And you're your perspective doesn't necessarily change how I see myself and how I identify as which religion or which uh, beliefs I align with. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. That definitely. And it's interesting because if you look back at the history of Adventism or maybe just any church in general, it starts off with a group of people who Mm. go, this is what we believe in. And, you know, this is what we will sort of ascribe to as a group of people. They don't start off with, okay, we're going to register this name 
And this is a whole list of our beliefs. And this is what it is. No, no, no. It starts off with a group of people aligning themselves with certain beliefs. In terms of the Adventist church, they didn't necessarily agree with each other at the very beginning. It was much later when they rolled out, you know, your 27 fundamental Mm. beliefs, much later before they um, registered themselves as, as an actual church. So I feel like in a way, we're sort of just going back to the beginning, back to the way it was, where you don't necessarily have to have your name on a particular membership card to be part of a group of people. I claim the name Adventist because I think it describes um, in a way the the theological set of beliefs that I sort of um, hold on to. Uh, but am I, you know, part of the church officially? No, and I don't need to be. There's no need to do that. Um, do I send my money to the church? Not really. I look for different things that other churches or other groups might be doing, and I support that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely don't think, <laughs> and I'm glad that we're in this place where, you know, we don't need to be mm. card holding members of the church to be, I guess, part yeah. of it. I think it's, yeah, a lot of it is that, um, I guess that realization that, um, you can be your own person and you can be your own Christian and, Yeah, you don't have to ascribe to everything that the church says, everything the church tells you. You don't have to believe everything that that they officially say and agree with it um, to be a part of it. And um, I think, I guess, going on from a few things that Joe said, I think also just that realization that the church is not God and that so I can have a faith in God that is separate from my relationship with the church in a sense. And so, um, uh, and so I think that's also something that maybe um, to answer a bit more of the the question. um, Yeah. I guess my faith in God is something that for me is not something I would question. Uh, And so even if I did totally give up on the Adventist church and, and give up on any desire to be involved in that, that's totally separate now from my faith in God and my relationship with God. Um, and so, and, and for me, that's a, a relationship with a, a, a real being. Um, it's not just a theory and it's, and it's not reliant on, on being a part of the church or being, um, you know, listening to what the church says. Um, so in that sense, for me, I think that's also one reason why I can't walk away from Christianity or I can't give up Christianity. And that's why I haven't left Christianity. Um, but also, yeah, just coming to that realization that that is separate from an organized religion. Um, that is my own mm. personal faith, and that's that's what's important. It doesn't sound controversial in on on some level where people disagree. There's a lot of different Christian denominations out there. They all believe slightly different things, and then even within those denominations, there's the liberal and the conservative, which is generally saying. Uh, we believe these things to varying degrees and we put different emphasis on different things to varying degrees. And I think I've had, I've had conversations with conservative Adventists and they might even say, oh yeah, I'm not completely on board with all 27 or 28 fundamentals. Like I think there's a few in there that are a bit, I'm not fully on board with. And it's interesting to me that I think even most conservative Adventists would agree with that and say, yeah, I think there are things that I might even slightly disagree with with my pastor even. But it seems that 
when you both show up to church in a relationship, you, you said before that you're instantly kind of accepted. Oh, welcome. We love to have you here. But then when you show up engaged and then married, it seems as if at some point along the journey of religious groups of people, they formalized it, solidified it into who agrees with our doctrines. And it seems like when you show up and you're married, it's, it's almost like you're wearing a badge of theological difference. Whereas, whereas I'm, I would say everyone agree that everyone has it, but for some reason it seems like there's something that you're treated differently because people could see your theological disagreement. What do you make of that? Absolutely. Yes and no. Um, reason being, again, if you're not Adventist, you're going to be listening to this whole thing, yeah. going, what they have membership cards and all of these things. <laughs> Definitely a cult. Well, I'm yeah, about to adjacent. <laughs> I'm about to give you more reasons to believe that. Yeah. Um, things like jewelry, things like music, they may not necessarily be part of the big 27 or 28, but these are things that I, I think are quite big in the church and people have very strong beliefs and very strong views. Some would even think that they are salvational issues. Um, but for me, what is it about being gay that makes people go, no, this is definitely where we draw the line. I mean, you've got divorcees in church as well. You've got pastors who are divorced. Again, what is it about being gay that that's where we draw the line? And I, I think to believe that the church exists in a vacuum is wrong. I think it definitely takes on a lot of what's happening in society and a lot of the place that it exists in. Um, and I think because a lot of people look at sexuality and look at being gay as sex and sort of combine everything, this whole relationship, this whole marriage as, oh, it's just about sex or it's lusting after someone else. I think the whole idea of sex just makes people go, oh, okay, no, 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 no. This is sort of where we draw that line. That's what I think anyway. Um, I, I also just You're painting to... a picture of sexuality that's b bigger than sex is what you're saying. Yes, mm. yeah, basically, basically. I think, I think for me, part of it, also comes down to this this fear that we have or as as humans i feel like traditionally we have a fear of the unknown and um i think that is also what makes um the sexuality a bigger deal than some other things people it you know if you know people may believe that wearing jewelry is wrong but if they see it they understand it it's not it's not a foreign concept to them. They understand that people want to dress up. They want to, you know, put things on, you know, that sort of thing. People may disagree with divorce, but they understand it. They understand that relationships, um, you know, can break down. And, and, and this sort of thing, they, they may disagree with, um, you know, not having a vegetarian diet, but they understand why people eat meat. I think that's where a same-sex relationship is, is a, uh, you know, a step too far for them because not only do they believe it's wrong, but they cannot wrap their heads around the idea of it. They don't understand it. They can't relate. They've never had an experience that would even tempt them to pursue that. 
And so I think that's also another reason why it's, it's a bigger deal than anything else for them because they just cannot relate. They cannot understand it at all. And when you say they cannot relate and cannot understand it, is that kind of what you've inferred from the fact that people might say or assume and say things to you like, oh, well, it must be a choice and just mm. just be alone forever kind of thing. That's what gives you the idea. It's like you you really can't fathom. And, and I've, I've had conversations with people sometimes and, and I've just gone like, I, I, I personally can't remember a choice of young little Conrad waking up going, girls, that's the one <laughs> yeah. girls I'm like, and I, and, and so I kind of like, and because it, yeah, it's in this, it's in this unknown space of going like, what, what is sexuality? Where does it come from? And, and you're kind of saying that it's very connected to who you are as people and you're seeing those like family members and community members around you reducing it to something that it's you're saying they're not understanding it because they're reducing it to a level where it's like well it's a choice or it's just a it's easy it's just like hey we all want to have sex with lots of different people but i'm a good husband i resist that urge you could just resist your attraction like yeah. and you're saying that th- th- those when you see those examples given or or anecdotes given you're you're kind of saying no i don't think you get it yeah yeah, it's a bit more complex than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, um, yeah, I think you touched on something there where people, you know, you didn't wake up one day and go, oh, yep, yep, girls it is, you know. There wasn't that light bulb moment. There wasn't that choice. But um, having said that, society, media, all that sort of thing is still, it's all aimed at that, even though it's not a choice, it's aimed at that being the default and that's just expected, you know, advertising um, in in movies and TV shows, what you see is heterosexual relationships. Mm. Now, I admit that makes sense because no matter what statistics you look at, no matter who you talk to, that is still the majority. Um, so I understand that, but I think that's also where, uh, I, yeah, I guess there's just that lack of understanding because people don't actually think about the fact that they didn't wake up one day and make that choice. But the other thing is that all they see when they think about relationships is heterosexual relationships. So it's, it, I guess they're feeding on both their personal experiences, but also what they have been fed and what they've seen around them to immediately say, this isn't normal. I don't understand it. Therefore it's, it it has to be wrong. And it's, it's worse than anything else that we know um, because it's a total um, deviation from the norm and therefore it's, you know, it's an abomination. It's, it's um, yeah. Manipulating what, what God intended. Um, it, yeah. it sounds like that, like when people say that to you, it sounds like they would be drawing from the norm, the standard deviation going, well, most people are, so therefore that's the way it should be. But it also sounds like the only people saying that in society today are conservative Christians. Mm. So what would, I suppose, what would you say to someone who goes, Dan, Joe, Romans, man, it's right in there. Boom, Leviticus, it's right in there. Like, like, I'm sorry, but that's what God like you, 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 you guys are both very much still Christian, very much believe in probably a lot of, well, almost all of what Adventism teaches that, that, uh, tradition teaches, 
I guess they might say, how are you getting around this blatantly obvious Romans passage or, or what, what do you say to that? I think in a sense, I would, um, I would say to them that if they actually study the text, they'll see a different perspective. I think a lot of the time people will go, oh, well, then, you know, you're just trying to argue around it and trying to find loopholes and that sort of thing. In which case I'd probably say to them, well, we get around it in the same way that we get around texts that go against our belief in the Sabbath or texts that go against our belief in diet. Slavery not being or, bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, so it's it's that same process of reading those verses that are saying slavery is is fine and, and um, you know, polygamy is, is fine and, and, and these sorts of things and where God allows for some of these things that we say are wrong, well, we're getting around it in exactly the same way where we're starting to look at the text in the context of when it was written um, and the context of the culture it was in versus the culture and the context that we're living in now. Um, but I think because they've grown up with those beliefs and, and just knowing, oh, yeah, that text looks like it says that, but it actually means something different, because they've grown up with that, they don't actually realise that's what they're doing. Mm. Um, so I think I would just, I guess, remind them that there's actually plenty of verses that they read that they believe what is seemingly the opposite of, you know, the plain reading of scripture. Yeah. And, and I think it, uh, definitely that, and a part of it is as well is claiming and holding on to that label that they're trying to pull away from you. Mm. Um, someone asked in the questions not too long ago, um, do you have any fears about moving away from the label of Adventism and why is it important to hold that definition? And for me, that's part of the reason why I hold on to the label. I'm not afraid about losing it. Um, but by holding on to that label, I, in a way, am saying, no, you don't get to define what the Bible says. You don't get to define what Bible-believing Christians look like. Um, definitely, as Dennis said, you know, you look at the Bible and there's so much context, there's so much time that's passed, there's so much culture that needs to be um, looked at when we're looking or the lens that we're using. Um, but also at the same time, by me as a gay person saying, I am Adventist, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, hopefully that makes people think. Um, in our podcast, we share a lot of stories from um, Christians who are gay. And part of that is hopefully also to speak to our more conservative friends where, you know, you can't wake up one day and go, you know, I'm going to try being gay today. I'm going to test the waters just to get an understanding of what the gay community <laughs> uh, feel or what, you know, what is it like? You can't do that. You can't do that. But what you can do is listen to someone who might be gay, listen to their story. And just maybe you might realize, actually, they, their passion for the Bible is just as much as mine. Their passion for Jesus is just as much as mine. Um, the way they look at, you know, the way they look at their place in society is very much the same as mine, except for this, that, this one little bit. And hopefully in that way, because I feel like sometimes you can argue theology, you can go hard on it and no one comes out of it going, yep, it's changed my mind completely. Yeah. I'm, I've changed my mind. But I think when we share stories, when we 
claim those labels and share our stories in relation to it, I think that's where a lot of change comes in. And again, to answer that uh, question in the comments, the reason why we also hold on to our identity, I guess, as Adventists is for those gay Adventists or for those Adventists who are looking or thinking of something better for the LGBTQ plus community, for them to be able to see that, yeah, no, this is actually something that's possible. And this is actually something that's happening right now. Um, and hopefully that starts the conversation that starts getting people moving, uh, especially for those who are a bit more conservative leaning. Do you think that when people don't understand the worldview or the, or the world you occupy growing up gay within a strict tribe that has rules around it, do you think they, they might try and transpose like I might try and transpose my experience onto you and that's why there's this there's this disconnect I go well I can't imagine what it would be like to be gay but I can uh, I can imagine what it would be like to like want to like look at another woman lustfully or something so it must be the same thing like do you think do you think it's just the fact that what you're saying is there are certain things we might not be able to understand about people's journey and walk in life, but we can understand it through listening and just going, okay, maybe, well, I guess it takes some level of humility you're asking for then to say, well, actually, maybe I just don't know. And maybe I've just got to defer to you and go, tell me what it's like to be married, gay, and in a Christian church. And then I just have to go, oh, well, that's what it's like because I can't ever really know. Hmm. Yeah, I think listening helps, um, well, as this whole podcast is is talking about, listening helps break down those assumptions. Um, you know, as you said, you know, you, you might sort of come across someone who says, well, I can't understand what it means to be gay, but I can relate to, you know, yeah, wanting to look at other women or that sort of thing. So it must be the same. And then I think as they start to actually listen to stories, it starts to break down those assumptions and, and they start to realize, oh, no, it's, it's much more than that. Um, so, yes, I think it does take a lot of humility, but I think that that's where listening makes a world of difference. And it, it sounds like what you're doing with your podcast, Enough Room, is to, is to show different journeys that people who might be similar to you can look to and understand but also it sounds like you're doing a lot of heavy lifting in the ways of explaining what it's like to a majority of people who just can't really know like do you feel tired or typecast from always having to be that voice of like even this podcast like oh tell me about what it's like to be gay in a christian church it's like are you like man i like football too like let's talk about football like do you feel like like it's a burden or how do you feel about the work you're currently doing i think for me um i touched on this a little bit earlier but um i think i like sharing that experience. And even if I have to share the same thing over and over again, I think I also, I myself learn from it a little bit. It forces me to think about, well, why do I actually have this worldview? Why do I look at the world the way I do? And, and maybe this is how I think, and maybe this is how I, I, um, you know, believe that 
um, that things can be processed in a, in a better way. But in talking with other people, I can start to question that and go, oh, actually, maybe that's not the best way. Maybe this is the best way of approaching it. And maybe I've missed the point here. And, and so I, I enjoy it because it's constantly making me think about it. I think it often is conversations with other people, um, sometimes from similar backgrounds, sometimes from very different backgrounds. And every time I feel like I learn a little bit more, um, and I guess to a certain extent, I also enjoy, um, you know, I certainly, um, as I said, recommend that people start listening to other people's stories, but I really enjoy doing that myself. Um, I really enjoy talking to other people and hearing about their stories. And, and so I guess in that sense, I assume other people are, some other people at least will be the same. And so I'm happy to share my story in the hope that they'll enjoy that as well. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I don't feel burdened yet. Maybe <laughs> <I've> <laughs> been a few years time. Um, and yeah. and I, I don't think being sort of typecast is, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, hear me out on this. Um, I, I'd love for there to be a day when we don't have to say, Hey, I'm gay. We can just say, mm. I'm in love with this person. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, but this is where we are at this mm. point. Um, ever since moving to Australia, it's surprising the amount of times people hear that, you know, I grew up in Fiji, I was transplanted to New Zealand, and they automatically go, oh, uh, do you want to join our rugby club? <laughs> or something like that, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Put me yeah. In. And my sister who's listening to this at the moment knows I suck at rugby um, playing <laughs> to Australia because we yeah. also suck at rugby. Oh, yeah. Australian rugby team burn. <laughs> Look, I, I fit right in here. What can I say? Um, <laughs> but because I've got that background, people automatically assume, you know, he, he knows how to do this. He's got this. And I think that works with being um, again, Christian as well, where, as soon as someone goes, oh, you're gay, you know, there are all of these assumptions that some good, uh, sorry, some bad, but I think there's a lot of opportunities that come with it, opportunities that we're able to go, all right, this is your assumption, now let me move it here. Um, th this is what you think about, you know, the gay experience, now let me help you move it to this place. I think we are in a place, especially here in Australia and New Zealand, I think I'd like to believe that we're in a space where people are open to learning some of the things that, you know, we had just assumed or that's part of our um, experience growing up. I'd like to think, and, and I truly believe that that's the case, especially in this part of the world. Um, there's a lot more work to do with the more conservative Christian uh, part of our churches um, but I think we're in a great place in society at the moment because people are asking questions. People are looking back and reviewing um, what we've held on to for so many years. And they're now looking to people like us. They're looking to people, uh, any LGBTQ plus people who are on this um, live stream at the moment, they're looking to us to go, let me learn something here. Um, let me find out how this whole thing works. Um, part of the reason why we're on this um, live stream with you. Yeah, it. I can definitely see that you are that you're giving voice to. It's like you're pragmatically looking at where society is, and then where your community you've come from is, and then almost like 
openly accepted the task that seems to be thrust upon you saying like people these people don't understand and if you don't explain it someone's going to have to mm. and if you can occupy that role then maybe mm-hmm. other people young gay people growing up in the church lgbtq it, within the church might not have to experience the same level of rejection okay. trauma those sorts of things is that that it really sounds like what you're this, exactly. is at the center of your work exactly i wouldn't want anyone from and <laughs> no hate but i wouldn't want anyone <laughs> from uh, you know a conservative christian uh, a conservative part of the church to occupy this space and then tell lgbtq plus people tell society what our experience is mm. This is our space and this is where our voice needs to be heard. Um, so, and, and that's one of the reasons why we want to occupy it at the moment. So, so as guys. That, that's, a, yeah, that's an interesting way of putting it, being like, if, if you're not in this space, then there will be a voice in the space. Someone else And will. it might not say things that you have found helpful, is yeah. essentially what yeah. you're saying. Uh, before I get to a few questions some people sent through bef- when I had the post up on Instagram, how do you guys think other Christians who might be who might listen to this might see you saying we're Christian and we're openly gay and we're totally okay with it and um, and we think that's okay? How do you think other Christians see you, other conservative Christians, when they when they look at you guys? Ooh, that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of them. It to be honest, it's really hard to answer that because I know. I guess just as an example, we make a lot of. We're like everyone else. We make a lot of assumptions about people, and I remember we went to a church um, earlier this year uh, when they were still open, and we sat down. We were holding hands, and this older couple came and sat beside us. And I think both of us, we didn't say anything to each other, but afterwards we were chatting about it. And we both immediately just assumed uh, they're not going to be really happy sitting beside us in their church, holding hands, clearly a gay couple. But after the service finished, they were so friendly to both of us. And we could just tell that they were um, they were obviously very affirming of us and our relationship. Um, so I think I... That's just an example, I guess, to say I don't know how to answer that question because yeah. my initial reaction, my um, my assumption and stereotypical assumption is that Christians who are listening to this would be going, these guys have you know thrown out the Bible, they're um, you know they're going against the Word of God and they're mm. uh, they're spreading these lies about you know and 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 they're leading, they're deceiving people, making them think that mm-hmm. they can. Um, follow a lifestyle using that word um, that um, is against yeah. the word of God but I think it would I think there's actually a lot of Christians out there who would also be listening going you know what I haven't really thought about this I haven't necessarily studied it but this makes sense and I'm you know happy to support these guys who mm. you know I, I think there might be some conservative Christians or Christians out there who might be listening to something like this. And I think the first reaction is um, one of maybe empathy, but also at the same time followed by fear. Because this sounds like something 
that I can get behind, you know, people, I think anytime we hear um, people going through something difficult, I think it's human that we automatically try to think of how can we help. But then I think in the context of conservative Christianity, we stop ourselves or in Christianity in general, we stop ourselves because, oh, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I would like to, that's what I think a lot of Christians feel when they first hear this. They're like, oh, what can we do? But then, no, I need to stop myself. I can't go too far. That whole conversation we had about, you know, not understanding what it's like being gay and then thinking that it leads to a hundred different things. Um, Yeah, I, I think for a lot of Christians, they hear that and they go, Yes, exactly. Someone just said the fear of the unknown. Mm. Um, I think whether or not they accept it, I definitely think there's a component of that in there. Mm. You've already half answered the the next question when when I ask how do you, how do you see them? And I've already heard. Well, it's it's hard to exactly you 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 know you can't really judge them because you're not really sure where they would sit and you can often get get that wrong but let's say how do you see the person that comes up to you and just says you're leading people astray you're reading the bible wrong and i just can't have you up the front of my church i can't have you in any sort of front facing position how do you see them the ones that really just don't accept you i think for me i um Right now, um, I think I'm I'm quite sympathetic to that belief because I understand it. I used to sort of come from that perspective um, and believe that strongly, and so I understand that way of thinking. Um, I don't agree with it anymore, and I believe it's quite harmful. But I think to a certain extent, I want to try and practice what I preach. And so if I am asking for people to give me enough room to share my perspectives and my beliefs, then I need to reciprocate by leaving enough room for them to share their perspective and their belief. Hmm. I don't know that that necessarily means I can, I need to just sit there and listen and do nothing or say nothing. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, for me, I guess I I try and maybe try and find points that I can agree with them on and relate to them and hopefully therefore encourage them to listen to my perspective and hopefully grow from there. I don't know if that answers the question. But. Yeah, I, yeah I, I think it does. Definitely agree with him. I, I think I'd take a different route as well <laughs> um, yeah. because I know this person has come to me and they look at me and they've got all of these assumptions the first thing that comes in my mind is let me break all of them down. Not, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to try to change your mind because I think that's something that's very difficult to do in one conversation. But if I can make you part of my life and make you see my life as I practice it, as I live it, mm. hopefully that then breaks down your assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. frustrates me when I meet people like that. Because if they're saying that to me, they've said it to 10 more people down the road. Mm. Um, But I really want to make people like that part of my life because I might be able to have a conversation with them and we might be able to go, yeah, no, this is what it says, that's what it says, blah, blah, blah. But if there's one thing they can't really, um, yeah, they can't really say anything about, it's my life 
and what that looks like. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that's possibly mm. how I see people. Yeah, you have a strong sense of like self identity. It sounds like here's where I've come from. Here's my beliefs. And here is how I've been impacted by the community. And here's how I am connected to the community. But also you have those, it sounds like you have some level of strong boundary that says almost strong enough boundaries for when someone to come up to say something like you that has produced some level of trauma growing up and does on a whole level to LGBTQ plus people in that setting. Your response sounds to be like, it's, it's a beautiful and challenging response that says, oh, you think this about me? Let me show you my humanity that we both share. And then through that, and that, I, I think that's like, it's a, it's a very Christian space, space to occupy, which is the, let me put my body in between you and somebody else so that you can kind of maybe get to know the humanity and soften a little bit so that there isn't harm caused to other people. That's kind of what I'm, what I'm hearing through. Yeah. And yeah. at the same time, I think I'm just tired. <laughs> like, yeah. and you can ask Dan or anyone else. I think any gay Christian person, we've cried those tears. We have put ourselves through all sorts of emotionally draining um, practices to try to change who we are you know, yeah, we've cried those tears. And I think I am at a point where I'm like, look, I've already cried these tears. I'm just not even going to argue about it. Just watch. Wow. <laughs> just just be part of this experience and see what it's like. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of people out there who may not have had the experience that Dan and I or other people in the church have had, especially, especially those damaging ones. Um, but yeah, it goes back to what we see in Jesus. And this is the inspiration where we draw it from. This is where it all, for me personally, where it all comes from. If I can be that person who maybe makes a difference in someone else's life, then that's what this whole experience mm -hmm. is about at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And one final question uh, for you, Dan. When, when you were talking about, you're saying, I used to be someone who was like, no, no homosexuality cannot be compatible with being a Christian to the point where you go, no, no, I can be somebody else. What was, what was the idea that you either rejected or accepted that everything else followed on from, or was it an experience or an idea or, or a interaction? Um, in terms of what, what idea did I accept or reject that, told me that I had changed to being straight? Well, I mean, uh, I guess what idea might have led you there to be like, this yeah. is this is the way it is. And then what idea did you finally just go, you know what, this isn't, this, this one thing isn't working and it led you off the path? Yeah. Um, mm, good question. I think maybe the idea um, in a... In a nutshell, it's a lot more complex than this, I guess. But the idea that um, anything is possible for God. Um, so I, I think also the idea that God is a loving being who wants the best for me. And 
his law is a law of love. Therefore, following his law is what is best for me. So um, hopefully you can kind of follow my way of thinking. Yeah, no, here, I, but... I can follow like if you're saying anything is possible, meaning I can be what everyone is telling me to be. Yeah. And then it sounds like you're in that journey and you're trying to be what you've been told you need to be. Yeah. And if you're going, but if, but if God is love, I'm suffering. Yeah. And if and I God's, think, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess just that idea that, well, if God says that homosexuality is wrong, then if I try and pursue that, I'm going to suffer. It's going to destroy my life. It's going to be a negative experience for me, all that sort of thing. And so, and I guess this assumption that if God is love and he wants what's best for me, then if I um, surrender myself to him, then he will enable me to live according to his law. And at that time, that meant being straight. Um, and so it was just, yeah, I guess that's the belief that I held on to. Um, there was experiences um, sort of around that, that that told me that that was an accurate assumption and that was a, a belief that I could hold on to. Um, and it wasn't just a theory. I think um, eventually I didn't necessarily give up on that idea or that theory. I still hold on to that. And I, but I think in a sense, that's actually what led me to change my perspective on life. Um, because I got to the point of, of realizing if I believe that God is love and, and that he wants us to be saved um, and that the road to salvation is a simple one and that it's just accepting Christ, then the amount of time that I was struggling and the, the, the level of difficulty that I was experiencing in that whole experience of being saved and, and, you know, having a relationship with God, something was wrong. It was, it was too hard. And so I'd misunderstood something. Um, so I think that's then where I held on to the belief, but I interpret it differently, I guess. And I, that's when I realized, well, I believe that God is love and he wants what's best for me, but I've misunderstood what that is. Mm. And um, it's not necessarily best for me to try and change uh, what is natural, but it's best for me to live according to what is natural for me. Mm. Um, that's that a very, cool. no, I think that's a really clear, very practical and almost really simple way of putting it. If it's, if, if we know what love is as, as humans and as people, we know what love feels like. And so when someone's telling you, you've got to do this, trust me, that's the way of love. And you're doing it and you're like, I'm not thriving and this is not leading me to more life and love and hope and all those things. Then on some level, you've, yeah, you're saying, I've got to listen to my experience here and I've got to, I've got to try another path really. And it, it sounds, it sounds obvious to say, but um, I think when, when you're in it, like, it's very easy for people to say, no, no, that's, that's wrong. Yeah. Um, and it can take a while to, to work that, that out. It seems guys, thanks so much for being so generous with your time, being open, honest, and, and uh, sharing your journey uh, with me and, and with our listeners. Is there anything you might want to add or say, or, or 
um, sum up? Mm. I think one thing for me um, that I've kind of been thinking about as I've been talking is, I guess, um, just a, a change of thinking in terms of what it means to be Christian or what it means to be Adventist, um, maybe. And that is, in Adventism, there is a strong focus on, I guess, this idea of the great controversy or an overarching theme of the history of the universe. So it's not as, you know, such a compartmentalized sort of process. I think for me, that is something that has really influenced the way I process the Bible and therefore I've come to the conclusions I have because I've been able to look at the trajectory of the Bible, look at sort of the themes throughout and see a picture of a God of love who cares for people, who cares for humanity and cares for their well-being, um, as I was just talking about. And so therefore, it's helped me to realize that if I'm reading a specific text or a specific instruction that doesn't seem to fit with that, then I need to read it again and find a new meaning because it doesn't fit with the bigger picture. Mm. Um, And so I think for me, that's probably one of the most, um, I guess, significant things about my worldview or how I think, how I process the word of God and how I try and live because it's no longer focused on there's these set of rules that you have to live by. Mm. There's still, I guess, that element of, well, there is a right and wrong way of doing things to a certain extent, but in a way the focus has shifted to be on people, to be on love, to be on listening to people's experience and and understanding that in in fact, the Bible, while I may see it as the word of God, it is also just a record of human stories. Hmm. It's, it's, people and their lives and what they learnt as they went through life. And sure, that may have been back then, but we're living now and we are still people going through life, making mistakes and learning from them. Um, so I think that's, um, I guess, something quite significant for me is it's just that shift in thinking and realising that the Bible is not a totally um, separate universe or anything. That was actually our world and it was our, um, I guess, our ancestors, in a sense, that was their life experience, and they learned from that. And so I, I guess that's helped me to realize I can now learn from my life experience, and I can see that um, whatever my belief may be, my focus needs to be on people, listening to them, and loving them. I don't know if that mm. is relevant, yeah. but yeah. yeah. I th- yeah, I think that's a that's a good a good idea for people to sit with and digest. I think, and if you're listening to this and you agree or disagree, doesn't doesn't really matter. That's the least interesting part of the conversation. The interesting part is hopefully you've been able to see how Dan and Joe have come to the conclusions they've come to. Maybe a little bit of insight into how they see the world and why they find themselves where they are. Uh, if you've made it to the end of this episode, then Bloody congratulations. That's an hour and a half. <laughs> That's an hour and a half in. If you want to make this podcast a practice, number one, listen to the episode that triggers you the most. Number two, leave a comment or a question 
on the Instagram post, what what question did I miss? I, I, there's probably probably plenty more. And three, reach out in our DMs. Tell us who you'd like to talk to and what you'd like to see next. Dan and Joe, your podcast, Enough Room, can be found everywhere, yeah? Everywhere podcasts exist? Yep. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, literally everywhere. So if you, if you want to uh, learn more about their journey and their uh, specific perspective, check them out. And probably goes for both podcasts if you listen to an episode it's your moral obligation to rate and review it and mm-hmm. share it with a friend because that's how podcasts spread that's how joe rogan got so big everybody everyone just <laughs> shared them and rate and review it so thanks for listening thanks for your openness and i will catch you in the next episode